We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. December 12th, 2010, George Saunders released his Escape from Spiderhead in The New Yorker. What's it all about? So watch the Netflix series and you'll know. All right. <laughs> My name's Crypto. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> no, read the no, read the short story. It's good. It's interesting because we open this story with this narrator, Jeff. Jeff. You know Jeff, right? My name is Jeff. Yeah, well you got you got Jeff and then there's this guy in the P named Abnasty. Like <laughs> quite the juxtaposition of names here like and he's yeah. being administered this drug and I love the writing straight from I start from the beginning. I, I love the writing because I really enjoyed how he took this drug to make him articulate better his emotions, himself, his thoughts. And it goes into these lines of a sort of embodiment of the domestic dreams forever intrinsic to human consciousness. And like, I read that sentence like three or four times. I'm like, I, I kind of get it. Like, okay. Like I wasn't, it wasn't clear to me what Saunders was doing. Cause this is the first Saunders I ever read. And, and then when it starts to wear off and the sentence turns into, it was something about the bushes and whatnot. <laughs> And think your happy thoughts. I was like, oh, that's hysterical. He's changing his writing to be reflective of the character's mental state. Isn't that kind of how life is, though? Sometimes people just string together all of these big words to make themselves sound smart. <laughs> and it really is just a whole bunch of jargon. It really kind of set the tone for the story for me. I'm like, all right, I already know what I'm getting into. And this is going to be an interesting journey. Yeah, because already they're talking about the uses of this, right? Like these chemically induced states where uh, I think it begs the question of who are we, right? It's the Theseus ship challenge. If I just change this electrical impulse or this, uh, this chemical reaction in someone's brains or nervous system, are they still that person? Or if you change their thoughts just a little bit, is it still their thoughts or is it someone else's chemically induced thought? And when is it no longer them? And how long can you get down that road before we're questioning what is our humanity, which I think is kind of like one of the main thrusts of this story. Did you also feel, though, that it left out a lot of the idea of free will as well? Because in the story, the main character is a captive he doesn't get a choice in this matter, and then he's being forced throughout as we kind of talk about the story. He's being forced to make choices here. He's lost his free will. I think that's a big impact that the story never really addresses. I think it's a good question, right? Because to your point, he's a prisoner, and do prisoners have all the f same decisions as others? But they they drip on, right? Like Like they were always asked... Should we should we administer this drug? And there's even that scene later on in the story where they're like, hey, if you don't let me do this, I'm just going to go get the signatures and override this. But everyone had this authority they needed to submit to, right? In terms of free will, no one was making rules in this story. 
They were either responding to a structure put onto them, whether it be Abnesti talking about how, hey, upstairs call, they're, they're not okay with that test that we did. We got to go do it this way this time. Or Jeff or Rogan. <laughs> they're responding to, here's your options. Here's what we're going to do. Is it okay to do this? And then they can either accept or not accept it, right? Like none of them are defining how the game is played. They're only moving the chess pieces or the checker place pieces the way that they're told they're allowed to. I guess for me, I went more of like a religious route, like I normally sometimes do. And I thought if this wasn't a sci-fi-ish type story, I mean, it's set, I guess, kind of in the future, right? Where they're trying to change people's personalities of who the core of who somebody is through drugs. If this was the people upstairs, the higher-ups are heaven. And if you have hell then they're in purgatory and if you can be fixed in purgatory then maybe you can go to heaven and if we just make a few of these little tweaks then we can do that and i guess i just thought if you don't get a choice in the matter is the reward worth it is heaven felt like it is earned if you are manipulated into it or if you quote kind of cheat your way into it through the, the use of these narcotics or drugs or these manipulatives that's a really good question. I really like that. Let's um let, let me explore let's explore to that, right? Because what are what are the choices put before Jeff to begin with? He's first meeting um was it was it Rachel or Heather? It doesn't matter. The, the exact same experience right. happens to both of these. He's with Heather and then Rachel, yeah. Okay, I mean, but it's the exact same experience, right? Like your average, yeah. you you know, hey, as a guy, like I'm looking at you and this is how I'm making my decision. They get the drug and then boom, man turns into, you know, super, superman and and does it three times with these chicks. And by the end of these two girls, he's, he's done it six times. That's pretty intense for, for an afternoon, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> but what's interesting is when he sees her, eh, right, whatever. And then they take the drug and they're just, he's into it. Like he's. He's passionately, I don't want to say in love, even though in the story, Abnasty keeps saying love. I don't think, I think it's much more complex and there's deep psychology here than what Saunders is saying in the dialogue versus what the characters are really experiencing, like from like an iceberg theory perspective. But as soon as it's over, there's like this question of shame, right? Like, like, well, I'm a man. Why should I be embarrassed about what just happened? And did he really truly care about this person? Nah, I didn't. It was just, it was just a moment in the scene. And I think that's a really complex thing of can you separate that uh, emotional high and uh, attraction and, and serotonin that your body's releasing and happiness in the scene and the output and the afterwards. And then, and then and when you have the Theseus ship argument of, well, how much of that happiness is given to you by this drug that's enhancing this signal, is it, is it a true emotion at that point in time? Like it's, it's a very complex scenario that all started with a choice that Jeff said, drip on, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place on here. Okay, so follow my madness. Hit me. Hit it's me. kind of like, you know, you're, you're the bar and if you have two or three shots, then you're good to go, right? And the, you get the beer goggles, as we say in our times. He got drippy. We, we had the beer goggles. You know, you had enough beers. Everybody looks good. Even I look good after a couple of drinks. And there's that idea of shame. But who's judging you? Are you judging yourself when you wake up that next day after a one-night stand? Is it that walk of shame? You, you said that word, the shame. Are you shameful for yourself? 
Are you shameful your friends are going to see you? Like, who, who? where's the shame coming from this? Why does he feel bad about this? Mm-hmm. And that's one mm-hmm. thing that I think is interesting that Saunders is portraying on here is you don't have a choice. You've been manipulated to in this. These drugs are changing your choice. And then you're made to almost feel bad afterwards. But who is making you feel bad is one yeah. of the key questions here. Yeah. They specifically call out it's because Abnesti was watching him. Right. It's because of society viewing him. And even if you look at these experiments, these aren't experiments where what they do matters. It's all based on their ability to articulate their feelings about it. If if Jeff weren't there to articulate how he feels about the dark influx affecting someone, it doesn't matter what Heather's doing. What matters is the articulation of things. And I think that comes back to, is it the experience? Like, cause he really did experience this passion and this love with these two different girls, or is it the interpretation of that experience where afterwards did he reevaluate his thoughts and did he think differently after the dark influx was administered? And that's how it is for a lot of life, right? We, we, the next day we always reflect back upon was this a mistake would i make this decision had i not been inebriated would i make this decision had i not uh you know had this certain food or the lighting or the ambiance that smile dressed a different way these are all external factors that are affecting us and it doesn't matter that it's the dark influx it doesn't matter if it's beer it doesn't matter if it's chocolate or you know creme brulee or you know uh skin or whatever it's those external factors that are that are pushing in on us that are going to make you question those things you know what i think is interesting i want to hear your thoughts on this is he meets, what is it, Rogan next, and it turns out like, yeah, we we both just hit up these girls three times each, right? The body count's going up. <laughs> <laughs> and then we meet a third guy, and he did the exact same thing. And you'll notice that it's at this point, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I interpreted Jeff as having some remorse that he wasn't articulating well at this point in time. I mean, he wasn't on the drug to make him articulate really great. And he starts to break into the headquarters, to, to, to jump into the control room, to see who's really pulling the triggers here, who's making these decisions. I'm going to expose the thought behind the actions almost. Do you think he felt more regret the higher the body count went up because that meant there's more people judging him and that his, his activity was less special because it was special to him all along? until he found out Rogan did it. And then he found out that third dude did it. And that's when he starts to realize he's not special. And that means his interpretation of what happened is no longer special compared to the actual experience of it, which remains unchanged. I think I think we're supposed to think that. And I think it might be kind of a generational thing. I know that when you think back about somebody's body count, the higher the number, you start thinking less of yourself of like, oh man, I, I'm not that important. I'm just another notch in the belt. Uh, but I think it's different nowadays. And I think that if this is done in the future, I think that maybe these individuals would have a different view on relationships than we do from a perspective of something that's obsolete, archaic. Um, I, I don't know. I I think that he's just mad that... There's other people. I don't think that it lessens himself. I don't think he's internalizing this. I think he's mad that 
other people are allowed in this situation that he is. And I guess maybe that does think he's special. I, I think it's I think it's more complex than just that of that he have his little feelings hurt because he wasn't the only one. It's a very complex to your point to your story. I, I flip that. It's a very complex story to your point. Well, this line right here. We see a ship adrift. We climb aboard, install a rudder, guide him, her, toward love, or away from it. What does that sentence mean when he realizes that his, it's not that his feelings are hurt, and I do appreciate your joke there, but it's the fact that he was guided there and what he thought was a decision really wasn't a decision. It's it's the erosion of his thought of what he was deciding upon, but was really already decided for him. I think the, the most important part is that last piece, right? Or away from it. You could have gone both ways. You you had they're basically saying that he did have a choice this whole time. He doesn't feel like he does, but the story is telling us that he did have a choice. He did. He's he chose he's poorly. Trying, <laughs> I, I think he's trying to get to the choice. I don't know. To me, where is he trying to break in from these control from from these like experimental rooms? Where does he have to go? The in between the hallways, the the connectedness. The, con the control center. Where's the control center? Oh, it's up above them. It's it's in the center, right? They, they said this this place was a spider where the control rooms are the legs and where Amnesty is making all the decisions is in the head. Okay, I missed that. He's trying to get to the control. He's trying to get to the point where he can make decisions. And he's constantly coming to the realization how he's being swept up in bigger forces, right? Like, oh, you're not going to consent? Well, we're going to go off to Washington, D.C. and get the consent form signed for you and force you to do it, right? Yeah. And Do you and maybe think even that, that all of that itself even, is a manipulation, too? Like, they know that they're going to move him into these different areas? Well, how much do you think Abnesti, even in these scenes where he's like, look, man, um, I tried upstairs told me that we got to go do this again. It doesn't matter what you're going to choose. Do you think that was all part of the experiment? Like was any of Abnesti's interactions, the way he's manipulating him with a, come on, man, you know, I've got five kids and don't you want to uh, in insert the dark influx because she's a bad person. Since she's a bad person, you won't feel bad. Like how much of this was an actual genuine human interaction and how much of this was all part of the experiment? Oh, so I get, you got me thinking now that there is no control. There is no control group. It's like an experiment within an experiment. You have a you have a, a double experiment or whatever they call it in science. That's what you're, the you're protocol committee told me. You're testing for two different things me. here, huh? That's what the protocol committee told me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when they finally but, start giving him some choice at the end of the story of basically who's going to live or die, then then we get to the root of the whole purpose of the story, right? I think so. Right. Like, well, one, to that point, when when he's given these choices, they're they're giving him moral excuses of why it's OK. Like you're morally excused from hurting and killing people <laughs> because it was for science. You're a scientist, remember? And, and when I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's a scientist in jail for killing people. What the heck did this? I wanted to know more about Jeff, honestly. Um, but it it comes down to that final scene where when he realizes he's doing harm to others and he can't stop it of his own free will, right? Because he's a pawn, I think. That's how I interpreted it. He yes. takes his own life. It's it's the first time he's able to out 
impact the experiment, to impact maybe what was actually happening, is when he ended his interaction and experience in this world completely. You know, that that's a that's a very complex statement to uh, to put into the story by Saunders. But I think that's the point of it, right? Is that the big entity that is manipulating this situation finally if if we we are believed that these drugs are manipulating people to break their core selves um your id your ego whatever you want to call it that their experiment was finally a success with him that he went against the norm of what he was and he was the first person to do it if you think about the story it's guy in experiment sleeps with several girls finds out other people go through the same experiment has option to basically insert bad feelings into other people and chooses not to, right? Like it's not incredibly complex plot wise, but there's so much under the hood of what these characters even acknowledge themselves, I think. And we have this quote, killers all, all bad, I guess. Although in that instant, I saw it differently at birth they'd been charged by God with the responsibility of growing into total f***s had they chosen this. And I think that's kind of the main theme here is, is did they really choose this to an extent? And, and how much control do we have in these situations? Because even though we talk about them being pawns, we see ultimately Jeff was able to make decisions. He was able to impact the experiment. And I don't think it's a pro-suicide argument at all. Don't get me wrong. But I think, you know, it does make us question of when was he really in control and when did his choice matter and did he make the choice to impact things? As I said at the beginning, I think it comes down to free will one, but two, I think that that last quote really for me cemented that this story is a very fun, complex sci-fi story on a very old tried and true idea of nature versus nurture, of that we have within us something our nature of who we are in our core being and that 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 you are manipulated by the nurturing of the outside influences through your life your mom dad friends tragic tragic events positive events and that the dark influx is that nurture it is that outside influence that can change you of what you will choose and will you make the same choices or not given it or not given it and in the end, I think that, that they prove that you can influence people, uh, and that was their goal of, of that if you do, then we can make society a, a, a positive. We can influence society. We can influence one another to be a positive change. At least that's how I kind of interpreted what Saunders might have been going for. All right. Permission, Mr. Crypto, to inject the audience member with subscribe-a-thon and the like a Tron to make the audience like and subscribe this video. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Drip on. Daddy need to get paid. <laughs> we appreciate you spending time with us, honestly. And if you did enjoy today's talk, make sure you do hit that subscribe to join us in other discussions. We put a lot of love and time into this. I hope you guys consider checking it out and maybe spending some time discussing and sharing your thoughts on what you thought this story meant. Leave a George Saunders playlist down below. This is my first experience with him. What do you recommend as the next story to check out by him? Looking forward to hearing from you in the comments down below. My name has been Una. Peace. Dark and Flux.